Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Tell your friends not to call at dinner time. I can call back. What? Why? Are you dinner? No, it's... It's okay. We're having casserole. We just had chopped some mashed potato. And peas. I like you. That's good. I really like you. I've liked you for some time. I like you too. Does this mean that we're going out? John Callio, will you go round with me? Yep. Oh. Good evening and welcome to television. G'day! Hello! Hey! hey. Whoa! Hello. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. And welcome to a special episode where we commemorate World AIDS Day, with the big screen adaptation of one of the greatest Australian love stories ever told. It's 2015's Holding the Man. Please explain. In 1976 Melbourne, Tim, Ryan Corr, and John, Craig Stott, fall in love while attending their all-boys Catholic high school. Over the next 15 years, their relationship endures separations, temptations, and jealousies, as well as societal discrimination. And then in the 80s, blood tests reveal that the men are HIV positive. A critical and commercial success upon its release in 1995, Timothy Conigrave's best-selling memoir is still a celebrated Australian text and endures as a must-read for lovers of queer literature. Having been previously adapted into a play in 2006, whose original run remains one of the most successful contemporary Australian stage productions, Tim and John's story is an endearing testament to love despite challenging odds. Neil Armfield's film received healthy box office returns and critical praise. But Philip, did you embrace Holding the Man? (laughs) Um, Well, to be honest, for me... Um, I took some notes. and one As, of the, as great critics and reviewers great, do. Yes. And one of my notes was Schrodinger's film. Okay. So basically this for me, I simultaneously loved and hated it. Right. Yeah, let's um, go. One of the things I've noticed with these films is I'm getting the same anxiety I get when watching a horror film. Oh, okay. And I know where it's coming from too. It's that... Because they're telling a story of an era mm. that, as it says, the social discriminations, the the vitriol against uh, queer people, you have that inevitable people find out and the repercussions follow. Yeah. Which for me has the same anxiety levels as a jump scare or mm. I mean obviously different it works differently yeah. but it has that same fear factor is it that me. anticipation that something's going to go wrong it has to go wrong yeah yeah I mean it's obviously we don't feel these when we say watch romantic comedies mm. and you know maybe action adventure mm. movies we might get a sense of this but we know the protagonist the heroes will make it all right that's it, that's so it's it. that type of anxiety I think so I also like for the record because I don't think we've really done a, a true rom-com yet no not really no. if anything maybe I love you Philip Morris was the closest yeah, we've come yeah. to yeah. Um, but I also get a 
a lot of cringe factor from rom-coms. Like, yeah. I, I don't like those, which is silly because I like it in other formats, but yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that. We, the audience knows what's about to happen. Yeah. The, the protagonist doesn't. Oh, the hilarity of the... It's, uh, it's a formula. It's a formula, and for me, it gets really cringy, unless it's done super well or a bit different or okay. whatever. And it, again, similar sort of feel in the sense of it's like, okay, you see they're loving life, they're, they're experimenting, they're, they're finding their love, and here's the family who hate, hates them and is against them and all everything's crashing down for them. Mm. I also understand that this is a true story. It's based on Timothy's memoirs. Yeah. And yet I still sit there. It's almost worse in that sense because not only is this, this isn't just something someone dreamt up or, mm. or wrote as a, this is sort of the generalized story of, of people of this era. This is something someone actually went through. That's right. And Phil, if I could maybe just even pause you on your notes for a second, because mm, that leads certainly. into a really interesting discussion point. And I mean, I guess we don't have to discuss this too deeply, but to put it in, I suppose, to put the story in context, uh, because you and I were not alive in the 70s. No where the story begins. Mm-hmm. I was alive in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You just made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we lived through the 90s. So this story, as depicted on screen, goes from 1976 to about 1993. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought maybe we'll have a look at the context and see what sort of culture mm-hmm. and society and political climate mm. Tim and John's story, I guess played out, what sort of backdrop it went into. So here's some things in relation to where they lived in Australia. So 1976, homosexuality is only legal in one state, and that's South Australia. Mm. So the story begins in the state of Victoria and then moves to New South Wales. And in the film, we even have saying, you know, what you boys are doing is illegal, Mm. you know, just to really reinforce it. So 1978, we get the first Pride March in Sydney. And that will eventually become the Gay and Lesbian Sydney Mardi Gras. So a protest turns into New South Wales' biggest tourist attraction. Mm. <laughs> it takes a lot of years to get there. In 1982, the first HIV diagnosis occurs in Sydney. And in 1983, the first AIDS-related death occurs in Melbourne. Now, a part of the HIV AIDS story in Australia that is one of the most infamous, I suppose, or unfortunately well-known is a story of a three-year-old girl called Eve Van Grafhorst. So she actually contracted HIV with a blood transfusion. Mm. And while in preschool, she bit a child Mm. on a playground. Mm. Nothing bad happened to anyone besides a bite. However, it it caused a lot of panic in the community. And Eve was banned from the school. After some pressure discussion, she was allowed to return on the condition that she wore a face mask. Yes, this is a child. Mm. However, the family is ostracized, Mm. right? And they end up moving to New Zealand, where, unsurprisingly, because it's New Zealand, they're embraced and they live a relatively normal (laughs) life without incident. New Zealand, Australia's Canada. Absolutely, yeah, (laughs) absolutely, yes. And Eve ends up dying the age of 11 in uh, 1993. In 1987, a very famous AIDS awareness campaign kicks in, and it's known as the Grim Reaper Mm. commercial. It is a double-edged sword 
because it's proven effective based on diagnosis rates and so forth. However, people in the wider community see the representation of the Grim Reaper as representing gay men, mm. and it vilifies gay men to that degree. Yeah. It was, I suppose, a desperate ploy to get, say, hey, wake up, mm. people, play safe, so to speak, but it does have some negative consequences. That's that one with the Grim Reaper bowling, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, uh, I watched it as a child because I was a, a child of the 80s, and it terrified me, and that's without me even knowing what AIDS was. Mm. You know, I was like six when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At first, only gays and IV drug users were being killed by AIDS. But now we know every one of us could be devastated by it. The fact is, over 50,000 men, women and children now carry the AIDS virus. That in three years, nearly 2,000 of us will be dead. That if not stopped... It could kill more Australians than World War II. But AIDS can be stopped and you can help stop it. If you have sex, have just one safe partner or always use condoms. Always. Something happens overseas, but it does have a bit of a link to Australia. And Princess Diana, who at this stage will be queen of australia one day mm. at that time she's still married to prince charles shakes the hand of a an aids patient in london without gloves mm. and this is huge for the cause this is why she's such a gay icon mm. one of the reasons mm. uh, she's i think the first public figure to do so to actually touch someone with hiv aids beginning of 1989 in sydney there's a spree of gay hate crimes where gay men are thrown off cliffs Oof. in sydney and it's about at I least... I feel I've heard of that. Yes. At, at least 27 men are killed. Mm. And the police will apologise for their lack of action about 30 years later. And their lack of action is because of who the victims of these hate crimes are. Yeah. They didn't really rule them as hate crimes then. Oh, the guys suicided. It was an accident. Mm. And so forth. Gay panic defence is used for the first time in 1992. So... A gay person is murdered or injured because the perpetrator says, well, he came on to me, I got scared. So today, that's no longer allowed in Australia, with the exception of South Australia. And same year, the ban on queer people serving in the military is officially lifted, which is wonderful. In 1993, when our story here of holding the man ends mm-hmm. on screen... Uh, homosexuality is still illegal in the state of Tasmania and mm. is not legalised until 1997. Mm. Years after Tim and John have parted us, marriage equality is introduced. Mm. Queer people can adopt. And they can also have past convictions for being gay removed from mm. their records. It's an interesting climate that these boys find themselves in. And mm. I think it explains a lot of the hatred, mm. of the closed-mindedness and the negativity they face. They don't face it from everyone, though. Mm. Their peers, even at an all-boys school, are generally quite supportive. It's like an open secret, so to speak, a really worst-kept secret. Mm-hmm. But John's the star of the footy team, and in Australia, we idolise yeah. our sporting heroes. Like, he is a legend at this school. Tim, I suppose, is accepted because he seems to always be effeminate and flamboyant and in your face, and no one really cares. You know, yeah. you, you always get the bit of the, the jabs here and there. 
but the boys are resilient and they've got a strong circle of friends around mm. them. Tim especially in his amongst his acting peers as well. So that's the context and the boys have support networks and they've got adversaries, I suppose. Mm. And it is unfortunate that uh, the parents seem mm. to be mm. the ones resisting the most. Generational thing, I suppose. I'd also like to throw in a tiny little generational thing there. Yeah. Um, because again, most people when they hear that, they go, oh, okay, it's a generational thing and they're, they're just disgusted and they're just, you know, yeah. it gets their morals, their values, all that. But also, also, and again, this is not defending, but... No. But people are I, complex. You need to look at all angles. Complex. I also strongly believe there's a... When it comes to parents especially, there's got to be that fear. Because mm. this is, at this point, an illegal act. Oh. You're now terrified, not just, you know, sitting there going, because of your religion or your yeah. views, but you're also now going, my son could be arrested, my daughter could be arrested. The thing They is- could be in major trouble, let alone mm. what society thinks. Well, I think all of these things come into play mm. because even hatred, and I'm not saying that the boys' parents hated them, I'm not suggesting mm. that at all, but any type of discrimination, any type of aggression, microaggressions, name-calling, trying to obstruct two people from seeing one another, all of this comes from fear. Mm, mm. And whether that fear comes from what society will think of you, what your religious leaders will think of you, what your politicians, Mm. your family, your friends will think of you. You're right, Phil. It absolutely does come from fear. Mm. And fear, I suppose, is in the background the whole time. Yes, yes. If we're not afraid of the social construct that we find ourselves in, we're afraid of this disease Mm. that we really don't know anything about. Mm. When Tim tells his mother that he is HIV positive, the first thing she says is, what a waste. Mm. She's already given him the death sentence. Yeah. And he replies, I'm not dead yet. Mm. And then when Tim tells her that John is HIV positive as well, she's devastated too because John is a beautiful boy. Yeah. Yeah, because... Again, John's representing an innocence, a youth, a beauty. And whenever we see someone who is young and has all of you know, their life ahead of them and so forth, it seems a lot more tragic because yeah. there isn't that potential. It's touched upon a little bit in the film. It's expressed more in the, in the book that it is based yeah. upon about John's aesthetics, <laughs> that he is absolutely stunning. Yeah. And you'll notice that people mention his eyelashes every now and then yeah. in the memoir. There is a lot of emphasis on John's eyelashes. It sounds that Tim really loved John's long eyelashes, yeah. which, which were quite beautiful uh, when you see real photos of Tim. <laughs> yeah, um, gorgeous couple. But you're right, everything here is driven by fear. And just even thinking about all of those things that was, was happening in that 15-year period mm. and, and so much more, I'm sure there's a lot I did not touch upon. And you know that just all feels like stats and facts, but actually physically living it and experiencing it and then just trying to live a normal life mm. and love the person that you love, there's push and pull. Yeah. There really is. So in terms of this particular love story, what did you think make of it, Philip? I I thought they were absolutely gorgeous. And I didn't realise, so I was saying about the true story earlier, to be totally honest, I didn't realise there was a true story to the end. Yes. Then a lot of things actually made a bit more sense. Oh, okay, because I was going to ask, does it matter? But it apparently well, it, does. It, it does a little bit. Okay. 
and I'm for me it only matters in a construction sense. It okay. only matters in a you know building sense. Right. Okay. Because in the movie, Tim cheats on John. Yes. And I actually wrote down here, you know, um, cheating sucks. <laughs> yeah, it and, does. Um, and I just sort of when I thought this was a piece that was sort of built from fantasy, from, mm. or not fantasy, but from a, you know, oh, this is a story of two made-up people who went through this. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, we've fallen on the crux of cheating. And, yeah. Oh, okay, this is... But once I realised, oh, that was a real story, then, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's difficult for me because... It feels more authentic. It feels a lot more authentic. Yes. And the whole cheating thing then didn't feel a bit of a cop-out. It felt... At yeah. first, I was thinking, oh, here we go. Here's a cop-out of, you know, this is how they... Uh, uh, get get uh, in trouble. This yeah. is how they uh, get this disease, and oh, what a cop out sort of thing. Mm. Whereas when you realise it's real, I go, oh, okay, that actually happened. Yeah, um, sort of thing. So again, just for me, from a construction point of view, mm. that shifted. It does make me then go them as a couple. It, it's hard for me because I, uh, straight or gay. Cheating is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I almost I, I had a, that little bit in the back of my head whenever Timothy was upset that he, his his partner, his husband, his the love of his life is dying. Mm. I'm sitting there going, yeah, but as horrible as it sounds, you sit there and go, you did this. You yeah, your lust, your I, I almost and again, this is me putting values and morals on it. Yes, but I don't think it's a you know. It's weird for me in in this year thinking this mm. because I'm not seeing sitting there thinking, oh, you being gay did this. I'm actually sitting there going, well, you being unfaithful. <laughs> yeah, but it's an interesting part of their relationship mm, mm. because I don't think, and I'm not going to speak for you, but I don't think you can really deny that the two men genuinely loved and cared for one another. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think this is why John is so reluctant when Tim's like, we've only been with one another because they've known each other since they were like, what, about 17? Yeah. Been together from that stage. Tim specifically, and this is going to be a, an absolute generalisation, but mm. creative people like to explore <laughs> themselves and others and, and, you know, and be with people, I suppose, mm. because it feeds creativity, mm. amongst other things. And yes, you can take that as a cop-out. <laughs> However... <laughs> I uh, I will say that, you know, the, the conversation, I like that it's not easy for Tim to yeah, sort of yeah. have this separation, as he calls it. And in the end, the discussion then goes one way when Tim says, no, no, we need to separate. And they don't even know the rules of separation. And John's like, well, are we separated now? And Tim's, yes, we are. And then John's like, can I still sleep here tonight? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, yes, of course. He's like, okay, then the separation starts tomorrow. Yeah. What? It starts tomorrow. I love that uncertainty. They're still trying to work it out mm. because I suppose John doesn't really know what Tim wants. John is happy being with Tim. He yeah. is, unlike Tim, he is extraordinarily quiet mm. and reserved and quite conservative, I think. Mm. You can see that in his upbringing. He's very shy. He's really respectful. And I think John would have been very happy just settling down and never having to have be with anybody else besides Tim. Mm. Really, I think he was quite content. He didn't have this desire or this drive to explore his sexuality in any other way. Mm. When they first kiss and 
Tim touches him mm. in the crutch, there is a discussion about masturbation. And John's mm. like, well, do you do that? Because John doesn't masturbate. Yeah. And he's like to Tim, well, can you stop? <laughs> like, can you not do that? Yeah. And Tim's just flabbergasted. He's like, it's fun. Which <laughs> is really sweet. I love that that shows the differences yeah. on the boys. Like opposites absolutely attract in this way. Uh, however, they do agree on this separation and Tim's exploring his sexuality and mm. his own identity and, and that of others. It doesn't specify at all in the film if John does so as well. Mm. Mm. So we assume that John does so because the boys assume that John infected Tim yeah. when they first get their results. Yeah. yeah. So in the memoir, it is clear that John as well did have boyfriends and things like that while Tim was uh, also having other relationships as well. So, I mean, I guess the guys come to this agreement. John was reluctant, but Mm. kept on living his life because Tim's a free spirit. Mm. Tim was happy to do that. But there's no denying how much they care for each other and they come back together. Mm. So it just reminds me of that friends episode. We were on a break. It's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. (laughs) But you know what? One could argue that, you know, HIV uh, diagnosis aside mm. that it perhaps did work for these yeah, boys because yeah. one wasn't begrudging the other or anything yeah it no that's true didn't really affect their relationship in terms of it it didn't make them love one another any less mm. there was never resentment at all between mm. them it didn't matter how HIV came into their mm. lives they both made the decisions they See, made. I'd, I'd question it because you have that scene, and I think there's a couple of things mm. similar to it. Mm. But you have that scene where they're playing volleyball, and mm-hmm. uh, John goes and punches Tim for yes. having a bit of a flirt. Yes, this was before the separation, though. Oh, okay, yeah, I've got that nutted up. Tim had already suggested it when they were mm-hmm. at the movies about to watch Nine to Five, mm-hmm. and John was like, "No." Yep. Tim, who was uses the excuse that I yes, all men use. I was drunk because yep. that'll always that that's a pass apparently. Apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys have been using that since alcohol has been has yeah, been invented, and and we still think it's a valid excuse. Apparently, <laughs> yep, okay. Uh, but yeah, Tim uses that. John doesn't care, and I love you know what I think that scene is important. Mm. I think it just shows how much is on the line. Yeah, for for John at least, mm. and you know Tim just doesn't dismiss John. Yeah, and then he knows that in order to move forward for how he wants to explore his own sexuality and, and learn more about himself. He then has to be more adamant, doesn't he? And say, yeah. look, I'm moving to, to Sydney because I've gotten accepted into NIDA. John's thinking, yep, long distance is hard, but we'll make it work. Tim's like, no, we need to like, just separate while we're sort of away from one yeah. another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the relationship then, I mean, again, we, we, we know that boys do love one another. And if anything, we see Tim blaming himself mm. a lot. Tim has that burden put upon him, though, that he not only infected John, but through donating blood, yeah. he infected others. Oh, Gosh, that would weigh on your mind, oh, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think that's interesting from my point of view, because I, I've not been conscious of a world mm. that... Mm. You know, that hasn't had um, good tactics against HIV. Yes, like screening and testing. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, obviously, you know, 89, I was in a world that didn't, but conscious of. Yes. And so, watching a lot of this, it it is so hard to think how you'd go 
through that. Mm. And I think it also comes back a little bit to the, you know, sleeping with other people sort of yeah. things. I've not been in a world where HIV hasn't been seen as it affects everyone. Yes. Whereas this is an era where people just do strongly believe it is only gay men. Yes. I mean, it, when it was first being noticed, mm. it was referred to as the gay cancer. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's very hard for me to get my head around yeah. these concepts and get my head around these ideas. Because again, my my generation was always just brought up safe sex. Yes. There are things out there that are going to kill you, safe sex. Well, and this is the thing. And when the boys are starting their relationship, when you know they're off at uni and, and mm. doing their thing, no need for condoms. Why? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, could you get diseases? Probably. But, but, but could you they be cured and treated? Yes. That's it. There's yeah. uh, up until, and I'm early really 80s. talking very broadly here, but mm. up until the early 80s, up until HIV, AIDS, etc. Anything you could get was very treatable. Yeah. And the worst that it did was a bit of an itch. Right? Yeah. No, you're, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So really with the whole thing about Tim saying, oh, you know, I want to sort of fuck around type thing mm. and be with other guys and, and all of that. It, it's an open relationship. Mm-hmm. He wants temporarily, mm. but you kind of go, well, besides the, what it does to the relationship, there aren't long lasting consequences. Yeah. If you accept that it's an open relationship, well, you have yeah. nothing to worry about. There are two men. Pregnancy isn't an issue. Yeah. For example, it's a fun experience Mm. it can be fulfilling it can be rewarding Mm. and we see very briefly we see that tim has learned a lot by sleeping with other men because when he goes back with john you know he bites him on the nipple and it freaks john out because john just (laughs) just has intimacy he doesn't do kink or anything like that but we can see that perhaps it has a benefit Mm. of them exploring other ways of making love and bringing that to the relationship it's just in an era that is playing against these boys mm, mm. and a lot of young men like them. Mm. So in terms of telling a story that is really well known in terms of Australian literature, queer literature especially, I think casting is everything because mm. you've got characters who are so beloved and embraced and their family and friends are still alive today. Yeah. And most of them are anyway. Yeah, definitely. At the time that this film was made, yeah, um, John's parents or his mother, at least, was still alive. Um, yeah, she refused to see the film oh, for okay. reasons that it would be too painful. Yeah. Really, watching the movie, absolutely understandable. Mm. Uh, and admittedly, Lois Kellyo is portrayed a lot more sympathetic in the film than she is in the book. Oh wow! As well, yeah, yeah. she's not nasty or anything mm. like that, but it's a lot more sympathetic. Yeah. portrayal this time round, and i think she actually deserved that yeah to be honest but we've got the casting of <laughs> tim and john so we've got ryan core as tim and craig stott as john philip what did um, you reckon if the movie's anything to go by then yes they're actually i feel a perfect uh, match for these characters mm. Post high school, <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I, I sort of mentioned to you, Wayne, yeah, um, that the while they're in high school, it felt a bit sort of uh, uh, cast of grease, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I agree with you on this, and I'll, I will elaborate actually, Philip, after you finish, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, after that, though, then yes, they, they had a 
brilliant grasp on the emotions that were needed for this mm. when uh, Ryan as Timothy was crying at the end yeah. uh, it was raw it was it was powerful mm. I, I know even just after a breakup I've cried like that <laughs> yeah. so I know that sort of um, this is a 15 year relationship that's, that's just ended it. that's it you yeah. know a lot of the emotions actually sat there thinking yeah I, I've, I've felt that before yeah. you know the, even their talk with the whole trial separation thing I'm sitting there going oh yeah they're in their early 20s yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's um but yeah definitely and uh, uh craig as john yeah you're right he's just got this innocence this very sweet isn't this he? very this sweetness but also the look and i think for this movie the look is everything as well yeah he looks like that that typical stereotypical almost 80s foot, football star, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, uh, perfect for television. If he'd gone on to do his footy, yeah, he'd be perfect for television, he'd be the ladies' man, he'd yeah. Be and that for this film, I think, was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I agree with you, Philip, in terms of the casting of Tim and John, so Ryan and Craig. I really like these actors, Craig Stott, especially, I hadn't seen. Before Ryan Core is a bit more well known. I love everything about their casting, but I agree with you absolutely that when they're in high school, <laughs> it is distracting. Mm. So I appreciate that, you know, from a filmmaking point of view, uh, Neil Armfield wants to introduce the heroes at the very beginning. Mm. Like, these are the actors you're going to follow. These mm. are the characters. These are what they, this is what they look like. Yeah. And yes, they've got, you know, wigs and costumes and so forth. So you can tell the different mm. stages and eras. We're told anyway, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You, it gives you an idea of timeline, mm. but let's see them through the whole way. Yeah. I don't feel there was enough done to de-age them. Well, this is the thing. They're not de-aged with any computer graphics or anything like that. Which is understandable for the era this was made, but... Yes, and also the technology that yeah, Australia has. That's what I mean, yeah. So, I get it. A lot of movies make this. Mm. So, for me, there were two options I think would have been better suited. Mm. One was, have all of the teenagers played by young men and ladies in their early 20s. Mm -hmm. That way, there is a consistency amongst the pupils. Mm -hmm. And then even if you say they're 17, at least they all look the same mm -hmm. age because these guys have stubble. Their best buddies aren't even shaving yet. Yeah. This is how it looks at least. Yeah, that's it. Because you've got all of the teachers in the school are purposely cast as mature-aged men. Mm. Over 50, for example... Yeah. That helps us believe when you see teacher talk to student. Mm. You believe these boys are kids, mm. right? Not when you're sitting in a classroom, not when you're on the footy field, not when you're hanging out yeah. at someone's house and you can see even the build yeah. is different. So for me, that was distracting. So I would have had all of the kids played by people in their mm. early 20s um, because I don't want to recast Ryan and Craig, right? Mm. However... If it was like, well, no, we need it to be that bit more authentic. We want, you know, all of these kids to look like kids. Then really, just for the scenes mm -hmm. that you are in high school, so mm -hmm. 1976, have younger actors who look like yeah. them. It's such a small portion of the film in the grand scheme yeah. of things. And because you're dating it when you fast forward to 85, to 88, to whenever... Mm. We get it. They've grown up. Yeah, kids have it. growth spurts, right? It. For me, it's the bit of the film that really annoys me because mm. so much of it is so lovely mm. and so well done for me that's a misstep yeah can i forgive it 
Yes, because oh, they're all thing. Yeah. But I just wish it wasn't that's there for it. me to forgive. That's yeah. it. And I think for me, even that era of filmmaking is when you would have relied heavily on makeup. If they've done de-aging makeup, which mm. is common, <laughs> yeah, it's been done poorly. Here. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to age people up. Oh, definitely. You know? I mean, look, this is only a few years ago. This is 2015. Yeah. No, no, that's it. Mm. It's still doable. Yeah. Even in 2015, only Hollywood was really doing the CGI stuff. Yeah, not always uh, good, and not always good. Mm. Even now, I mean, uh, you look at your your Avengers and all that. Mm. It looks hideous. It looks. Uh, <laughs> Do you it think looks, so? Oh, some of it's great. Yeah. Some of it's amazing. Robert Downey Jr. being de-aged mm-hmm. is so far in the uncanny valley as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it just looks... Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm going to trigger you. Yeah. I'm going to trigger you. Yeah. And I know this is not really de-aging, yeah. but it's taking a younger person's face and putting it on somebody else. Rogue One. I could deal with that. You've got um, de-aging, in, or not really de-aging, but I guess representation of people... In two different ways, Peter Cushing and yeah. then Carrie Fisher. Yeah. One's done really well. Carrie, I actually thought done well, I thought but it could have been too. done better. I actually believe Rogue One did a better job of CGI people yeah. than Robert Downey Jr.'s de-aging. So in terms of, I guess, aging or de-aging, yes. then fill up. Because we've just talked about some examples mm-hmm. where if you've got the technology, mm-hmm. it can still be done well and yeah. badly. So for an Australian production, and this is... I guess, you know, a lot of money's been put into this production because yeah. it looks really good. It's recreating oh, yeah. a lot of eras. Oh, yeah. With this one here, do you think then it would have been better to cast younger people? And I can't believe I'm saying that because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Ryan and Craig are not old, old men here. But, no. you know, younger people and then just use makeup to age them up for the other parts of the film because it's easier to age them. Um, or are we I, harping upon this way too much? Oh, we're definitely harping on this way too much, but that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> um, I, I feel that if, if I'd done this, if, mm. if, if my armchair strategy would be, first and foremost, for all the uh, high school kids, yes, cast them as uh, uh, 20-odd-year-olds, and then have... Uh, de-aging makeup done because again you don't need a lot it's not like you need to make them look like babies no exactly it's only a few years for me it just it's like you said they've got stubble when the kids around them don't yeah simple little tricks like that like just getting rid of the stubble and then that would be just enough to make us uh, suspend our disbelief yeah I I don't think they needed to worry with CGI it can be done with Traditional makeup, yes. but I just think tiny little details like that make the movie go from really good to amazing. Yeah, and I have to say that Ryan and Craig do such a great job in oh, terms yeah. of their mannerisms. Oh, and, yeah. uh, Tim, especially, who is just dramatic yeah. and political. Like I, something that I think you really get from this film is how, for Tim, everything. Is political. His yeah. existence is political. Yeah. And one can argue that that is true of all people who don't fit the mainstream. Yeah. They are rebelling. They are a protest. They are challenging the status quo by existing the best lives they can. Mm. And Tim definitely wants to do mm. that. His drama teacher, played beautifully by Jeffrey Rush, mm. you know, says, 
Tim, you're more than your sexuality. Mm. Tim, I think, rejects that, though. Mm-hmm. He is like, no, my sexuality is important to my identity, and I'm not going to hide it. Mm. And that's quite an important exchange, because you've got Jeffrey Rush's character there, who is clearly a gay man. I'm interpreting mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. role as that of a gay man who has seen a lot more than Tim could ever appreciate. Mm. And I think he's just sort of saying, you know, there are consequences, I suppose. Yeah. But with every generation, those consequences get less and less and less. Mm. This story would not necessarily play out this way if it were told today. Mm. If there is a Tim and John out there right now, and I'm sure there are plenty <laughs> couplings, the most one could argue you would get is the parents disapprove and maybe it would have nothing to do with their sexual orientation. Yeah. It would be, I don't like their religion or I don't like the class they're a part of or whatever, yeah. you know, something that's always petty anyway. Yeah. So you're right, Phil, getting your head around the context when this film was made or really when it was set, set yeah. is, is important to really appreciate. And it takes me back to when we were talking about Philadelphia. So that Mm. was a movie that we reviewed for our first um, Mm. World AIDS Day special. And, you know, you didn't know a lot about the disease then. I'm not going to assume you know any more or less now, but (laughs) going on what you had said, you didn't know much about it Mm. then. And it probably wasn't the education you were really after. In terms of the, the queer history in you know the small little island that we are of Australia, <laughs> not so small, but in our place in the world, and I guess how the disease had an impact on society, on politics, dynamics, and really, most significantly, human beings mm. who it directly affected. Did this give you more insight? Was the story strong enough that it gave you insight into how being gay and then having a disease that is incurable, did that lighten, sort of, for, or enlighten you, I suppose? To be honest, mm. for that sort of thing, mm. I think this movie is better as a talking point than an educational point. Mm. I strongly believe that this movie is better as a, a talking point rather than an educational point. Mm. Because it really feels like it was made for people who know what's going on they can read between the lines yeah i've actually now learnt more from your you telling me about the the context of the right then i had if i'd watched that by myself if i'd seen it on netflix hit play mm. watched it through i would have gone oh okay that's someone's story without knowing any of the extra stuff around right it. Well, i might have then gone away and looked it up but yeah. um it's not got a, i didn't feel it's got enough for me to then you know, Google or, yeah. or look up a, a keyword. Right. Um, for example, uh, the movie we watched about Stonewall. Yes. I can Google Stonewall yes. and get an, a Wikipedia page on Stonewall. Yes. This didn't have any strong keywords like maybe, you know, AIDS Australia 80s. Yeah. And, and I'd eventually claw stuff away, but you giving me this sort of backstory and the history Mm. and the context around it definitely I would never have gotten from this movie directly yeah and I think what this one is it's more for people who have got that knowledge Mm. it's now adding another 
piece to that puzzle or another another uh, page to that story. Yeah. Whereas someone like myself, I'm still at the first chapter of this book. <laughs> yeah. This is a chapter that's near the back. It's it's a, it's a, an example of or a case study of. Yes. And I still need to get the the, okay. <laughs> the, the I'm still trying to get through the spark notes. Right. <laughs> so in terms, I suppose, of representing the eras, it's set over the 70s, mostly mm. 80s and the 90s. Mm. I personally love the production values of this movie. I think it's so handsomely mm. produced it. Yeah, the costuming is really yeah. great. Set you pieces can, are great. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. And you can definitely get the progression of time. I, I was able to pick up, you know, okay, yeah, I can see how views are changing. Yeah. And I can see how things are yeah. moving along. Yeah, like Tim's parents especially. Uh, are, most certainly. Yeah, most quite certainly. accepting. And again, I've got that sort of vague knowledge. But again, for someone like me, generally, mm. my attitude is, yeah, from the... Uh, mid 70s through to the late 80s was just panic doom and gloom doom and gloom yeah whereas this does show that sort of progression of how the panic and how people learnt and, and so does Philadelphia yeah but without that talking to someone who is in the know mm. I would never sort of go oh, okay now I get the contextual clues right that. okay that's interesting mm. okay and by itself it's, it's it's a story it's not a a, a, a thesis right no <laughs> of course not. well I mean there's only so much you can do in two oh, hours exactly exactly and, and I'm not asking it for oh of course me, not but in terms of that question yeah, I really yeah. don't and to be honest I've yet to see a film that doesn't have assumed knowledge. Yeah, I attached. think I think Philip, we're we're after a documentary. Let's be That's, honest. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah no, let's be right. honest. I mean, I think it presents enough, and maybe it is because I I have um, pre knowledge, mm. and again, I've read the book upon which it is based. Mm. I think it presents enough to give you the idea of the journey these boys go through. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a 15-year period. Yeah, that's it's it. A, it's a lot to pack mm. in, and obviously it would have to omit so many details. Mm. What it does deliver, one could argue, is more on the superficial level, but I think it does it in a way that you believe that Tim and John absolutely loved one another. Yes. You believe that their parents were fearful for mm. the boys, for their sons, mm. for different reasons. Mm. And I'm not saying those fears were justified, but they were afraid. Yeah. And that Tim and John had friends all the way from mm. high school who really cared about them. And as a story, mm. I would say this is, in that sense, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't think that it's out to actually educate. It's you know what? I don't think so, too. Yeah. I mean, to say, my, okay. my question was problematic, really, because it's not <laughs> it's not a film's job. And, and look, yes, I know that this isn't a, hey, you know, let's pull out the popcorn and crack open <laughs> the champagne type of movie. But a film's job is yeah. to entertain, to make you feel things, to, to be taken... Uh, through through a character's story, yeah, it does this really well. It does it's it really not well, aiming definitely. to really educate, really. Definitely, no, I don't get me wrong. I'd like to, and I'm sure there are movies out there. Mm. I'm sure it's even maybe it's a case of okay, well, if you see this, this, and this, you'll get your you get a picture. You'll get your big picture. I would like to see more movies, and this is actually in general as well mm. that give you the 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 contexts and the yeah. The, and I suppose I'm craving that a little bit within uh, queer film because I do have a history background and a, his mm. a history film background. 
I can sit there and I can name you about five World War One movies mm. that will give you the context right through so that when you're ready to watch something that's about a specific thing, you've already got that overarching. Yeah. You've got your All Quiet on the Western Front. You've got the Oh, What a, a Lovely War. Mm. For the Australian side, watch the Anzacs miniseries. And that they do give you... Whilst telling a story, mm. they also give you the broader picture so that it's almost a docu-series or a docu, a docu-film yeah. sort of thing. And I think with entertainment pieces, you then have to also say, well, how much exposition are we putting into this? And I don't think exposition is bad. No. It is difficult, though, mm. to do well and subtly. And it's different, too. Because yeah. And especially the genre that you were talking about. Yeah. We as an audience, because let's face it, most of us don't know the finer details of history. Mm. This is me included, and I've studied history. Mm. A lot of dates and people have forgotten. Mm. But I think we appreciate it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we appreciate being talked to a little bit. Yeah. I w- think it's a bit more difficult when you're looking at a relationship of people like this. I think when you're telling a story about two people who have an enduring love... <laughs> It's difficult. And this film, Mm. I get that. Because, Mm. again, this is meant to be a love story. It's a story. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's a a love story. But then, going back to something like Philadelphia. Yeah. I wonder why we still can't sort of look at that and go, okay, well, let's give that little bit of extra uh, thing so that everyone's on board. And, again, I understand also other things like when it was released. Yeah. It was in an... They weren't thinking about... 2010s no. uh, uh, teenagers wanting to learn their history. They're thinking about, hey, this is us now. Yeah, which this is, is a reflection of society. And I yeah. get that too. Which is interesting you say that, Philip, though, because I would argue that Philadelphia does have quite a bit of exposition. Oh, most it. certainly. You know, uh, we talked about how it does serve mm. more to educate. It was made mm. for an audience that was not sympathetic mm. to gay people. Whereas Holding the Man is made to a more general audience. I mean, if you're sympathetic to to queer humans, you're going to be drawn to this, I think, more than somebody who is not. But I don't think it tries to, you know, really want to seek approval Mm. from anyone. Yeah. And I suppose maybe that's just me sort of going, again, this is 2015. Mm. I sort of sit there and go, okay, there's a whole generation of uh, young adults, kids, young adults who don't know that history. And for me, knowing where you've come from really is super important oh, to see yeah. about where you're going. Yeah. So the type of reluctance, resistance and obstacles that Tim and John go through the film, you feel doesn't tell us enough about the era in terms I... of the history of like, oh, wow. It was tough being gay back then. It's tough being HIV positive. I feel that if someone like myself who's got a bit of background knowledge, well, okay, not as much, but mm. knows knows the era, knows what it's talking about, yeah. knows that sort of stuff, is still sitting there going, oh, well, they should have known better or they should have... Mm. Like I was sort of saying at the start. Yeah. You, know, um, you had your judgment hat on. Judgment hat on. <laughs> but but ha- if I have to sit there and tell myself, oh, wait, this is the 70s, or, oh, yeah. wait, oh, yeah, and then understand it even further once I've had things explained to me a bit mm. more, then someone that has little to no knowledge of that and is coming in to see this for a love movie mm. is going to be blindsided. Wow, okay. I, I think. Yeah. I, I could be very wrong on this. 
I also don't, being a 30-year-old man, I don't know what the younger generation is being taught, does know, does understand about this history. I think if you're exposed to movies and TV from, say, the 60s, 70s and early 80s, you can then understand this movie. And it doesn't mean you have to expose to queer stories of that era, Mm -hmm. but to get the idea of free love. If you are a fan of the music from that era, you Mm. can hear the messages. If you like poetry or stories, you know, reading books, even reading comics from that era, you get an idea of the politics. And Mm. I think just any pre-knowledge of that era maybe is a bit more helpful here. However, we could argue that um, somebody who is a teenager now will think back and go, oh, Wow, this movie was made in 1990. That's an old movie. There's mm-hmm. that great gag in Captain America Civil War when Peter Parker as Spider-Man says, Hey, have you seen that really old movie? Yeah. Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. of course, all of the adults and us as well as yeah, audience members yeah. go, Old movie, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe younger people aren't engaged mm. in movies that are, you know, 10 years older than them, for example. Mm. It's a shame because the greatest cinema, especially from the States came in 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s, I feel, anyway. However, we've got the story that we have, and it's presented in a way that it is presented. Yes, yes. The film itself, or really, let me say, the story of Tim and John has a huge legacy. It's significant in Australian literature and queer literary circles as well. And it's often heralded as one of the greatest queer stories ever told Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to two people falling in love and staying together against all odds with quite a bit of humor thrown in courtesy of tim (laughs) who very much in your face phil is it one of the greatest queer stories ever told or have you not seen enough to say i'd say as a general haven't seen enough to say (laughs) but uh, yeah i'd definitely say it's at least up there Mm. if not the greatest and it's definitely up there You've got movies that come out relatively recently, like Love, Simon, which mm. a lot of people are saying is, you know, the modern telling of these older uh, stories. Yeah, Love, Simon's a contemporary fairy tale. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. It gives, especially young queer people, the John Hughes movie they never got. Yes, yeah. that's it, that's it. But definitely, definitely, in terms of this sort of this sort of stylish movie, I definitely think if you were to say it's the greatest queer love story one of the greatest love stories period yeah I'd say you'd definitely have an argument to be made for that I think any couple that stays together endures a lot you know Mm. think you know like separation like being jealous of other people and their own insecurities and resistance from from some family and some friends and just society in general and are there together till the very end like that just says a lot about Mm how pure the love is. We're only human. Yeah. One of the strong legacies of Holding the Man, the novel, is a wonderful documentary called Remembering the Man. That was also released in 2015, so when this movie was made, Mm -hmm. and it talks to people who knew Tim and John. So if you've read the book and if you've seen this movie, this documentary won't necessarily tell you anything you don't already know, but you hear it from the people themselves. And if I'm 
and I know it's apples and oranges because as yeah. I was saying, this is not a documentary, yeah, so yeah, yeah. can't tell us everything. <laughs> but in terms of Tim and John's story as a film and big screen adaptation and retelling, remembering the man, I think, is what you're looking for, Philip, yeah. compared to holding the man. Remembering uh, the man is, possible, a, is, yeah. a bit, is a bit stronger in that regard. Yeah. And you get a sense of who Tim and John really are mm. you get it in this movie absolutely but hearing from people who knew them yeah that's um, is actually quite gorgeous mm. and tim himself in the book isn't always the most likable person and friends do reflect <laughs> and in written interviews as well that i have read that it's him i think just being a bit more self-deprecating and john is of course then holier than thou yeah a reflection of how much tim loves john he does yeah. not want to say anything negative about yeah. him which is quite sweet really yeah. but Philip, in terms of Holding the Man, the 2015 film adaptation of Timothy Conigrave's best-selling memoir, your final thoughts and a score out of five. All in all, I really loved this movie. I'd say, yeah, it's got a few little, a few little things which, coming up on 2015, uh, are... are less forgivable than say if you said oh yeah, this was made in the 50s or this oh, was gosh. made in, <laughs> in, in in if this was made in the 90s sort of thing and again that's just construction work mm. but in terms of its story in terms of its powerful story absolutely gorgeous film i definitely would like to see remembering the man mm. um to to see uh, the story from the horse's mouth as they say yeah and I definitely recommend this as as a part of uh, uh, required viewing. <laughs> um, I'd give this a, a four out of five. Yeah. Well, I've read Holding the Man uh, three times. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of the first queer texts that I've ever read. So it has a very special place for me. And I fell in love with Tim and John. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Moore, because as I said, <laughs> Tim portrays himself in a very, not always the most sympathetic way, but both are just absolutely exceptional and lovely humans. And their story is just so important, I think, and so significant because it helps us remember what the road to acceptance and equality looks like. Mm. And the fact that we are not there yet and that it might be a while until we are there, shows that this story is still relevant. The film does an excellent job of telling the key points of Tim and John's love story, of their time together, the different personalities, the eras that they lived in. And I think that their story is such a significant contribution to just Australian history, Mm. really, that these two humans lived and loved and cared for one another in an era where not everybody loved and cared for them. Mm. And the fact that after all of these years, you know, the book was published in 1995, we're still talking about it today. It will still be discussed in decades to come because it is that strong. It says a lot, I think. I know this is not a book review podcast, but definitely read the book. <laughs> Absolutely highly recommended. I highly recommend the documentary Remembering the Man, if you can source that. And I highly recommend Holding the Man as well. It's a very high four out of five for me. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I've been a Philip Hunting. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced Fred Watch. Watch. Cue music. <laughs>